Thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. Hey, 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 Victory Church, how's everybody doing today? Well, if you're not awake, you are now. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here. What an honor and privilege for you to be here today. Those of you watching online, those of you at the Edmond campus, it's a, a pleasure to be with you guys there. I love the Edmond campus. Uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord no matter what day it is. It's great to gather together. Uh, so I, I, w- I wanna welcome you if you're a first time guest, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're starting something uh, new for the next four weeks, okay? So usually if you uh, come to Victory, you know we do seasons and we do topical seasons um, where we'll preach a subject just till we feel like the Lord tells us to stop. And that could be a month, it could be two months, it could be three months. Uh, but this time, this for the next four weeks, we're doing an intentional season, uh, series, okay? So this will be a series, it'll be four weeks. We know when it starts, we know when it ends, all right? So we'll go through November 5th or November 6th, I believe it is, um, and this will be a four-week series. So I wanna encourage you to not miss any of these weeks because they're really, really important. If you're new to Victor Church, you've maybe never been a part of one of these, but every year we do something called Heart for the House. And really, the thought behind this is, if this is your house, if this is your church, if you have a heart for this house, what does that mean? And how do I know what the heart of the church is so I know what I have a heart for? So if you, like, for example, in your own home, in your own family, you have a set of values, you have a set of things that are valuable to you and your family, and that makes your home. That Because I'm a part of this house, I go by these values, this set of values, and this is what you're teaching your kids. In this house, we will serve the Lord. You know, that's a value that you're saying, in our house, we serve the Lord. And so that's kind of what this series is all about. Um, I've been the lead pastor at this church now for eight years. Um, and yeah, thank you. It's been a great honor of mine. And this church has an amazing history. This church was actually started in 1994 by Mark and Jennifer Crow, And it's been an amazing church since its inception. And so we're, th- we're so thankful for them and their vision to, to launch the church. And um, so 28 years, um, in the last eight years, I've been lead pastor. But I want you to know that I believe um, God's just getting warmed up. And I, I, um, I love this church more than I ever have. Um, my love for this church, and what, what I mean by that is my love for the people of this church and what, what God's doing in here and through, through us is bigger now than it's ever been. And my passion for this church is bigger than it has ever, ever been. And so I'm excited about the future. And I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm honored to be your pastor. And I truly believe that we're just getting started. I really do. We're a 28-year-old baby. Some of you may be like, I got one of those in my house. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, so really what this um, next, next four weeks will be about is I'm so glad that you're a part of this house. I'm honored that you're a part of this house and, and let, allowing God to use your gifts and your talents and your treasure here. But what does that mean? Like, what is this house all about? And so many of you may be on the fence. Maybe many of you may be like, I'm all in. I love this place. 
And so this, if this is your first time at Victory Church, man, you couldn't have came on a better weekend. You're gonna get to hear the heart of this house and for those of us that have a heart for this house. And so I'm gonna talk about vision for the next several weeks. Um, we do this every year. So, so we did this last year in 2021, but we actually did it at the beginning of the year, February of 2021. So we usually do it every spring. This year we pushed it to the fall. So if you haven't been here in the last 18 months, it's crazy to me, we haven't done this in 18 months, but uh, so maybe this will, this will be new to you. So let me just share with you our, our vision, our vision statement as a church. This is what we believe God has called us to do as a church, okay? Uh, we feel we are called to equip people to live, move, and be in the fullness of Christ. To live, move, and be in the fullness of Christ. And you will see this come out of us all of the time. We talk about this nonstop. You'll see live, move, be everywhere. Um, you see that all over our campuses, the way we talk. The, you'll see it visually. You'll hear it audibly. Um, but really the thing that we really focus on, that we really feel called to do as a church is also obviously to be evangelistic. But this says that, that we live life to the full. So in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came so that you may have life. But he didn't just stop there. He didn't say just life. He says, I want you to have life, but not just life. I want you to have life to the full. So it kind of gives this picture of there actually is two different types of life. There's a, a type of life where you're not living to the fullness of your potential of whatever then that God's called you to do. And there is a life that we're called to live on this earth before we get to heaven, we can actually live life to the full here. And so when we leave church every weekend, we say we live life because we want to always be striving towards living life to the full. And so um, there's a passage of scripture that really was at the heart when we, when we called the vision forth of this church in, in 2014 when I became the lead pastor. And it's really a verse that was kind of a life verse for me, even all the way back into my teenage years. I, it was my favorite verse in the Bible. I really clung to it. Everybody asked me all the time, what's that tattoo on your arm? This, this tattoo on my arm is part of the verse that I'm about to read to you. It really became like this life verse to me. And it's in Acts chapter 17, verse 26 through 28. And this is what it says. It says, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history. And I want to pause there for a second. So it's giving this picture that God created the whole earth, all of us out of one man, Adam, right? And then it says that he appointed us, he assigned us our designated time in history. So you weren't born in 535. You weren't born in 635 BC. You weren't born in uh, 1449. You weren't born in 1776. You were born in this day and age for this day and age, for this time, for this place. And it really forces you to think like, okay, if this church is 28 years old, think about it in the context of our church. This church is 28 years old. Over the course of 28 years from, since 1994, we have seen literally tens of thousands of people come and go and go. We've seen thousands of people give their lives to Jesus. We've seen thousands of people healed and touched and restored and redeemed. And God lets us pastor them for a season and then some go for a season and others come for a season. So think about where we sit right now. On today's date in this church, God has appointed us and assigned us for such a time as this to be a light in a dark, dark world. And so it says that he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands, verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Verse 28 is where I wanna show you. It says, for in him, in Christ, 
We live and move and have our being. Three things that we're to do in Christ. We live in Christ, we move in Christ, and we have our being in Christ. And so this is kind of the heartbeat of our church is we wanna live a life, we wanna equip people that we, are, we live, we move, and we be. We have our being in the fullness of Christ. Not half, not half. And we're all on a journey, and I don't care how gray your hair is, God's not done with you yet. There is still a fullness that God wants you to live up to your potential and have an impact for the kingdom of God. And this is what we're all about at this church. And so for the next three weeks, I wanna teach on these three things, live, move, be. And then the fourth week, we'll do what we do every year. We come with an offering, we, we pray, we ask the Lord, well, Lord, is this, is this something you would have me give to? So on, on the last week, on the fourth week, we will, we will give an offering. So, so let me just get, kind of give you a visualization of this, okay? So for all of you planners that like have everything planned out, I'm just gonna give it to you all up front. So here's what it's gonna look like. So because I have a heart for this house, Okay, week one, we're gonna talk about this is where I'll live in his presence. This is what I'm gonna unpack today. Week one, we're gonna say, because I have a heart for this house, this is, this is where, in this house, I will live in God's presence. And we'll talk about what that means. Number two, this is where I'll move beyond myself. This is a big part of who we are as a church, part of our vision, is we're called to move beyond ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. We move, we have movement, we're a people of movement, but it's not about myself, it's about how can God use me for others. So we'll talk about that next week. This is where, at Victory Church, if this is your house, then I'm committing that I'll move beyond myself in, in this way. Week three, we will, do, we will talk about this is where I'll be a giver. If this is my house, if God's called me to this house, then my seed sown in fertile soil can have a kingdom impact. And so because I have a heart for this house, this is where I'm gonna be a giver. And then on the fourth week, we will come and we will give our offerings. We'll have a worship day, we'll do communion, and we'll come and we'll bring our offerings. And this offering, this is, if you're like, I don't wanna give, still come to church, it's okay. It's not an obligation, it's not an, it's not an obligation to give, it's an opportunity. It's not a club, you don't have to, there's no membership fee. All right, so you don't have to give or you can't be a part of our club. It's nothing of that nature. Over the course of the next four weeks, we are asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is this something you would have me give to? All right, and we're just gonna be obedient to what the Lord says. So that is kind of where we're at and that's what the, the next four weeks will look like. So the first week is today. Let's talk about this is where I will live in his presence. So eight years ago, when I first kind of rolled this vision out, um, this, this concept of living in his presence. One of the ways I unpacked this is I talked about Moses and the children of Israel leaving Egypt and going into the promised land. And they were a stiff-necked people. You know, we were just like the Israelites. We're a stiff-necked people. And we mess stuff up all the time along our journey to the promised land. And there comes this point where God says to Moses, hey, um, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I made a promise that I'm gonna send you to the promised land. So I'm gonna send you to the promised land. But God tells Moses in Exodus 33, but I'm not going with you. I'm not gonna go with you. I'm gonna send you there, but my presence will not go with you. And Moses understood what I wanna talk about today because Moses said, God, if you're not going with us, then don't even send us. We're better off here with you than in the promised land without you. He understood the importance of having the presence of God. And we see all of this in scripture. You see that the, in, the pres, in God's presence, there is freedom. There's all of these things that come in the presence of God. And so it becomes a vital component of us living our lives to the full is I'm a firm believer that you will never live life to the full absent from the presence of God. 
And so I wanna talk about that today and unpack that for a little bit. So this word live, okay? So live, move, be, let's unpack these. You know me, I like to go to the Greek, all right? Let's unpack these in the original language and see what the, the original intent was. So this word live in the Greek is the Greek word zao, and it means to have true life, life to the full. It means to uh, be fresh, to be strong, to be efficient, to enjoy real life. And when it, becomes, when it comes to, to the vision of this house, we strongly believe that we cannot live a life to the full outside of his presence. So the question then becomes, well, what does that look like? What does that even mean? Is it like we have to always live in this glory cloud and God's presence is just overwhelming us all day, every day in my cubicle, you know, while I'm combing my hair. I wanna, I wanna talk about this today. What does this mean to this church? Because in the early church, the very first church that was ever established, all right, and we're gonna learn from them. If there's any church we should model after, it's not the hippest church or the coolest church or the, or the most affluent church in the nation, it's the early church, Amen. God's church. It was a church that Jesus, Jesus first planted the seed when he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait on me. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is gonna descend and you're gonna be baptized. John baptized you with water. I'm gonna, you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit and you're gonna have a power come on you, okay? That happened in, in the book of Acts. And then out of that, you see the very first church was planted. Very first church plant ever. And... 3,000 people added to their number the very first day. We'll talk about it. So, so Peter, this is the good thing about the church, guys. This is why we're all welcome here, all right? Is because the first church was planted by broken people. Peter, um, Peter was the guy who just a little bit before was denying Jesus, cutting off people's ears, being crazy. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That day he stands up and he preaches the message of the gospel and it says, and 3,000 people added to their number that day. Like that's explosive church growth right there. And by the way, that was a mega church, instantly. So, so you see this very first church plant ever. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna learn from this because I, I believe that there are two things found in this scripture that I wanna show you that shows you two ways that the early church lived in his presence. Okay, so if the early church did it, we should do it. All right, so let me unpack this for you. If you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, we're gonna go towards the end in verse 46 and 47. Let's read the word of God together. It says, every day, these are the, the, the people of the church, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Where did they meet? In the temple, the temple courts which would be the temple, the church, the, the place that they came and gathered together, similar to what we're doing today. And then it says, they broke bread. Where did they break bread at? In their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, which we should pause and just thank the Lord that God included carbs in the planting of the first church. Thank you, Jesus. So we're eating, you know, we're eating bagels, but it's because the Bible says so. So bring out the pastries. They broke bread in the homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So two things I see at work here, where they chose, because they were a part of that house, that house of the Lord, that move of, the, of, of God, they lived in God's presence in two places, in two ways, all right? And we're gonna learn from this today. 
Uh, let's go back to the verse. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Uh, point number one, if you're taking notes, we must live in his presence in gatherings. In gatherings. We are practicing the art of gathering right now. Here at the Edmond campus, we are in a gathering. They would come together and something powerful would happen. What would they do when they came together? They would worship. They were coming to give a sacrifice of praise. So when we come together, we're coming together in that way. In the King James Version, it says that they came together in one accord. Same exact in the upper room. They were all together. They were all in one accord and the power of God fell. It happened when they came together. The Bible says where two or three or more gather together, that's where I'm showing up. But if you don't gather together, so, so there's, there's power when we gather together. So this word, gather, or together, or one accord, in the Greek is a really hard Greek word. I butchered it earlier. I'm going to try to do it this time, all right? It's the Greek word, hamathemaidon. It's a fun one. And it means with one mind, with one accord. I like the last one the best. With one passion. So this Greek word that I just butchered probably, uh, all my professors at TKU will tell me this week how bad I butchered that. Don't judge me. Um, is made up of two root words in the Greek. So two root words making one word. I want to show you these root words. The first root word is the, is the, is the, is the Greek word hamu, which means together, which is simple, of persons assembling together. And the second one is thumas, which means with great passion. And then one translation literally says, as if they're so passionate about it, they're breathing hard. Keep your minds clean right there, all right? Just. They come together all with the same thought, with the same passion, with the same in one accord. And when they come together, they're so passionate about coming together that great worship erupts out of them and accolades to God. Amazing things happen. In Hebrews uh, 10, 24, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. How should we do this? Verse 25 tells us, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. One translation says, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. Do not forsake the gathering of the saints. So, so, so look around you, like make awkward eye contact with somebody that you've never met before. It'll be super fun. Look, just look around, Edmund Campus, look around. See, look, see how awkward that was? That person you just looked at is your brother and your sister in Christ. This is what's powerful about when we gather together. We can gather together with people we have no idea who they are, but they got the same heart, same passion, same mind, same intentions, same imperfections, but we're coming together to worship in a powerful way. And the truth of the matter is we're just better when we're together. We're better when we're together. And so those, the, COVID wrecked this for the body of Christ. There are still people I'm going to look on the camera. There are still people. <laughs> I've met you that have not yet come. I'm so thankful for technology. I'm so thankful for church online. We have so many people all over the world who watch us online every week. But let me tell you something. Let me look on the camera. There's something powerful that happens when we come together. The presence of God together. Something really, really powerful happens. So this word together or gathering in the Greek is the Greek word episanago, and it means to a complete 
collection, all of us, especially in matters of a Christian meeting together for worship. There's something really, really powerful that happens when we come together. So how do we live life? We live life to the full in two ways. One of them is when we come together. What does it mean? It means that because I have a heart for this house, which is God's house, it means that I'm going to prioritize the gathering of the saints. As for me and my house, we will prioritize God's house. It's a priority, okay? And it doesn't mean you can never skip church. Oh, relax, I'm not being that guy, all right? It means that it's, it's high on my list of priorities. Soccer's not as important. Sports aren't as important. The fair's not as important. Dallas Cowboys aren't as important. I'm just saying, it, when, when, when I have a heart for God's house and I, and I choose that I need to live, move, and be in the fullness of Christ, if I want to live in the fullness of Christ, I must live in his presence. And one of the ways that we live in God's presence is by gathering. I love what uh, Tony Evans said. Tony Evans, uh, I saw a quote from him one time, Pastor Tony Evans. He said, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, uh, which is very true. He said, um, he said, we're saved by grace through faith. He said, but I also don't have to go home to be married. He said, but if I continually avoid going home, then the relationship with, with, with my wife will be affected. This is how I, I view church. It's not religion. It, it's nothing about if you don't, then God won't. It has nothing to do with that. There is something powerful when we choose, we make it a priority to come together. I never leave church discouraged. I've never have. Not one time in my life have I left church discouraged. It's a life-giving church where we come together, we lift up the name of the Lord and his presence is real and we live in his presence here in gatherings. The second way is this. Let's go to verse 46. It says, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So number one, they lived in his presence in the temple, in, in gatherings. Number two, I would present it this way. They lived in his presence in circles, in circles. Gatherings, which we are in right this moment, are rows. We gather together in rows. Um, there's a decent chance that if you're here at the Edmond campus, that you will come into church today. You, I don't know what the stats are on this. It'd be actually pretty interesting to know. How many faces do you see? There's hundreds and hundreds of people at our campuses. How many faces do we lock eyes with versus the back of someone's head? So I believe that the Bible is pretty clear on this. So there's different modes of learning, right? So I, I love education, I'm in education. Uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a, the, the Greek way of learning. There's a Greek learning model, which is kind of adopted in, in the States. And in, in, in fact, in most curriculum, um, anywhere that there's education happening. The Greek model of learning is subject oriented. You must become an expert on the subject. And the way that you become an expert on the subject is you sit in rows and you look at a talking head and you listen to the lecture and then you take notes and you try to memorize to where you can get up and articulate or, or regurgitate what you have learned. So you become an expert on the subject matter. That's why our colleges say, what did you major in? You say, I majored in business. I majored in finance. I majored in medicine. It's a major. You learn about the major. Now, there's a Hebrew type of learning that's completely different. This is the way the Jewish culture is, okay? 
In Hebrew learning, you do not learn subject matter. So instead of saying, what did you major in? You would ask someone, who did you sit under? And the, the person would say, I sat under rabbi so-and-so. So it was, it, was, it was not instructional, it was relational. So they would know everything that you know, they would know your demeanor, they would know your style, they would know your subject matter that you're an expert in, not based on what you taught, not based on what you were taught, but based on who taught you. The Greek learning model is done in rows, just like we're sitting right now. The Hebrew learning is face-to-face, -face, in circles. I believe that Jesus modeled this, and I'll, I'll, I'll prove it. Many, many times in the New Testament, you will, you will read about Jesus's ministry where it'll say, and I quote, and a large gathering came to Jesus. And the crowds, there was great crowds that came to Jesus. In fact, I found 35 instances in the New Testament where it says, and a large crowd gathered. And Jesus would sit there and lecture. He would teach the Old Testament scriptures. He would teach the Torah. He would teach the, the, all of the things they would teach. But you'd see this happening sometimes where he would, I'll give you an example. So he, the parable of the seed. So he, he's telling the crowds, a large crowd gathered, and he's telling them the parable of the seed. Some fell on the, soil, the path, some fell on the rock, some fell on the weeds, some fell on good soil. And if you read that whole story, he stops what he's doing, the crowds disperse, and he turns to his disciples. And he literally says, now let me tell you what I meant by that. I'm speaking in parables to them. I'm gonna make it very clear with you because I'm your rabbi. I'm your teacher. I'm gonna mentor you. I'm gonna train you. And so they would get in circles. Um, he looked Peter in the face and said, who do you say that I am, Peter? Face to face, face to face, mentorship. The Last Supper, no matter what the picture shows, you know, the picture that you see on your grandma's wall where they're all facing that way, they're you and the camera, they were in a circle. They were around the table, looking at each other, face to face, intimate, breaking bread, communion that we remember, we commemorate today, happened in a circle. I'm just here to tell you that I believe, this is just, I don't think it's opinion, but it's my opinion. Life change happens best in circles. Life change does not happen in rows. Do I think God can impact us? Yes, we see that happen in our church. We see this, this happen in church, and I think God can move any way he chooses to move. But I think on a typical day-to-day -day of our growth pattern, of us taking one step closer to Christ, I believe that it happens more impactful in circles. Uh, you see this in the early church. In the early church, um, one thing was abundantly clear. You read all of the New Testament, that it was all about one another. Over and over again, this Greek word is mentioned that, that, that is talking about one another, not the masses, one another. Let me show you just a couple of them. First Thessalonians 4.18 says, encourage one another. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another, honor one another. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens. Galatians 5.13, serve one another. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other, forgive each other. Uh, James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other. And then it says the result of it is this, you will be healed. Now that'll confuse you a little bit because don't I confess my sins to God? But this says to confess my sins to one another. So we were talking about this earlier in the week. Pastor Wade's been doing a, 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 a circle uh, in Edmond with a group of guys studying the book of James. Wade and I talked about this. Think about this. It's, the Bible is very clear that we confess our sins to God for forgiveness. We would all agree with that. James 5 says, I confess my sins to one another to be healed. 
for my heart to be healed. Something supernatural happens when we get face to face, when we become vulnerable with one another. I share with you my weaknesses, you share with me your weaknesses, I share with you my struggles, you share with me your struggles. There's a bond that happens. Um, in the book of Acts, it's describing the early church, and there's one part just before the part we've read today where it says, and they all begin to sell their possessions and give to one another. And you're like, these people are crazy. They started selling their possessions. Yeah, you know why? Because they were looking face to face with one another. They were breaking bread with one another. They were weeping together, suffering together. So we don't do this as, well, as much as well because we do life in rows, not circles. Can you imagine if you came in here today and something moved you later today and you're like, yeah, that guy in front of me, I, don't, I never saw his face, but I saw the back of his head. And so his, the back of his head moved me. And so I decided to sell my car and bless him with it but I don't know what he looks like. Can you help me? Like, hey, can you turn around and you see the back of your head for a second? Yeah, that's him right there, you know, the bald guy. No, why, why were they so moved with compassion to sell their possessions and bless each other? Because they were doing life in circles. There was something happening in their life that made them vulnerable with one another. So, so about, I don't know what it's been now, a month or two ago, um, we've been talking as a staff because one of the things that we believe as, as a staff that we, we haven't done well, we have, we've we had some great leaders that have been over this, but we've had a hard time getting the church to get in community. And we've had people tell us, well, we love the church, we love everything, but we just haven't, we haven't been able to get plugged in. We've all heard this, right? Maybe you felt this. And so we've been exploring and talking through this for a long time. And one day I was in prayer about this and I was like, Lord, what, what's the challenge here? And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, convicted me so strongly. And he said, John, because you haven't made it a priority. And I'm like, what do you mean, Lord? We, we, we talk about this all the time. We're, we're obsessed about this. And he took me back to our core values. Now, I'm a big believer in core values. I believe if you want to change the culture of an organization, you change the, if you can change the way people talk in your organization, you will change the culture of your organization. So we're really big on core values. We rolled our core values out in 2014. And you've heard many of them, we're kingdom-minded first. We believe in radical generosity. We, we steward God's resource as well with radical generosity. You can belong before you believe. Uh, we're not built on the talent of a few, but the sacrifice of the many. We, we, you hear these, we, we talk about these all the time. And God took me back to my core values and he just tapped me on the shoulder like the Holy Spirit does. And he says, not one of your values emphasizes circles. There's nothing that you have valued that challenges your people to get in community. So he was simply saying, don't be that surprised, John. You haven't, you haven't made it a value. And so I took this back to the team and I apologized. I said, guys, I must apologize as your leader. I missed it. I missed something. And I, I am been convicted by this and I'm coming to you saying that I believe we need to make an adjustment in the values and the way we talk as a church. And so I'm presenting a, a new value I believe that we need to have a new core value as a church. And so I'm gonna to introduce to you a new core value in our church that you're gonna start hearing us talk about all the time. And here's the value, you ready? We grow best in circles. That's it. We grow best in circles. In this house, if you have a heart for this house, this house thinks that we grow best in circles. We believe that it's powerful when we gather together and we should not forsake the gathering of the saints. 
It's very important. Something powerful happens when the presence of God comes in a room, when we're gathered together as the saints. But we actually believe that when it comes to growth, spiritual growth, it happens better face-to-face than it does face to the back of the head. So we're gonna begin to emphasize this. You're gonna start hearing us talk about this nonstop. Why? Because I cannot pastor all of you one-on-one. I can't do it. It's impossible. Um, I heard a guy say, um, this uh, pastor this, a couple weeks ago, say something, and I shared it with the staff, that convicted me to my core. And he said, I was in this gathering of pastors, and he said, I actually tell my staff, he said, if I catch you doing ministry, you're fired. What? I'm in the full-time ministry, right? I'm vocational minister. That's what we do. We minister. He's saying it tongue-in-cheek, but I know what he means. Ephesians 4 says that, that, that Christ himself gave the pastor, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, the preacher, to equip the people for works of service. The church exists to equip you to do ministry. It's quiet in here. So we must equip you to go out and do ministry. So, so what are we called to do? We're called to equip people, y'all, to live, move, and be in the fullness of Christ. How do we do that? We live in his presence in gatherings. This is us being equipped, all of us. When we gather together, God is equipping us. When we get in circles, God is beginning to equip us. Let me show you one, one other thing about circles that I love. Um, in, in, that, in that passage, it says, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, now watch this, and enjoying the favor of all the people. Anytime I've always heard favor mentioned in Bible or church or sermons, it's always been God's favor. And I read this and I'm like, what do you mean the favor of the people? Because it's the same Greek word for favor. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's the Greek word kares, and it means grace, goodwill, loving kindness, benefit, bounty. That when we get in circles, we actually begin to benefit from one another and I actually get to receive your grace. What does that mean? It means that when I'm hurting, I receive your grace. When I'm in the hospital and you come visit me, I'm receiving your grace. When I'm struggling and I can't pay my bills and you give me a hundred bucks, I'm receiving your grace. We're allowing God to use us. So God's provision comes through his people. God's love comes through his people. So we're actually experiencing the favor of the people when we get into circles. So we're going to begin to emphasize this. We're going to begin to talking about circles. Okay. And what does this mean? Uh, It matters what we say. It matters how we talk. Okay, so let's get super practical. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm big on words because words matter. Words matter. If you can change the way people talk, you can change the way they think. If you can change the way they think, you can change what they do. If you change what they do, you change a life. It all goes back to changing the way people talk. All right? So call it rebranding, call it whatever you want. I'm, I'm saying we're going to be really intentional about the way we talk. So um, these, these, what we're doing right now at the OKC campus, at the, at the Edmund campus, what we do from here on out, uh, this is not a service. This is not a church service. Y'all, y'all aren't serving right now. You're sitting and listening. It's not a service. 
Um, it's not an experience. Then there was this big movement, you know, like early 2000s, 2010, where all the churches, we stopped calling them church services, and we started calling them church experiences. This is a dangerous word. And we as a church, the global church, uh, this is why words matter. Because when I call this a church experience, I'm inviting you to judge the experience. Because even by saying that, I'm saying, how was your experience? Well, it was okay. You know, the sermon was decent. The chair was uncomfortable. Uh, how, how was worship? Why are we asking each other how worship was? The only person we should be asking how worship was is God. Hey, God, how was my worship today? It's not an experience. We're going to start calling these gatherings. This is a church gathering. This is what we're doing. We're gathering together. What are we doing? We're gathering together. Same thing they did in the temple courts. They worshiped. They gathered together. We're two or three or more gathered together in his name. So, so listen, you're going to mess it up. I'm going to mess it up. I'll probably at the end of the service today. See, I just did it. Uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the gathering today, it's going to happen. I'm going to say experience. I'm going to say service. And I'm going to go, oh, I'm in gathering. But I want to be intentional about the way and the words that we speak. All right? Second thing is we don't have small groups. We don't have life groups. We don't have community groups. We have circles, okay? You walked in today, you saw logos on the floor. You're like, what is all this? Well, we are now fixing to launch and release circles. And we're gonna begin to say, whose circle are you in? Why, why are we gonna do this? Because it matters what we say, and we wanna get people as much as we can, we wanna get people moving from gatherings to circles, from gatherings to circles. We're gonna stop for the time being until the Lord says otherwise. We are no longer doing conferences. No more men's conference. No more women's conference. Someone said, I can feel it. Why? Because it's another set of rows listening to a talking head and we get all amped up and we leave and our lives don't change. So we're gonna have men's gatherings. We're gonna have women's gatherings, not once a year, multiple times a year. And you know the focus and the purpose of doing it is to get you face-to-face -face with other women, to get you face-to-face -face with other men, to get you from going from gatherings to, to leaning in. Why, why are we doing this, John? Because at this house, we believe that we grow best in circles. So we're gonna be really intentional about every opportunity that we have. We're gonna gather like we are now, but the goal of every gathering is to get you out of the gathering and into a circle. Now, let me, let me preface this by saying, did you know that you're already in a circle? It may not be here, but you have a circle. You have a group text of some guys you're on. You have some girls that you go and have coffee with. Right? You have a circle. You have people that you go play pickleball with. You have people that you go and ride bikes with. That's a circle. What we are not saying, what we are not saying is you need to leave your circle and come to one of our circles. We're not saying that. You're already in a circle. What we're saying is help us equip you to go and do ministry in your circle. Do life in that circle. Be a blessing in that circle. Go and do ministry in that circle. I, I can envision a day where we have more people in circles than we have coming on Sunday mornings. Because we're doing ministry. We're gathering together with one heart, with one passion. We're being equipped to go out into our circles of influence and do the work of the ministry, amen? amen? So this is a new vision. This is something new that God is doing in this house and we're inviting you to be a part of it. So let me show you one last thing here that happened. So this is the best part of this whole message. 
So it shows that the early church launch, they did two things. They gathered and they circled. And then the very last sentence kind of gives us this equation. It's like this plus this equals this. So they gathered at the temple. They got in circles and homes. And then the very last sentence says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It was that easy? Yeah, I guess so. They gathered together. They got in circles and did ministry. And the Lord just started adding people to their, to their gatherings started adding people, and people were just getting saved left and right. Why? Because people weren't showing up to talk, listen to a talking head on Sunday mornings. They were doing ministry. I want you to bring your lost friends here. I think that's fantastic. You know what I'd rather you do? I'd rather you go out and save them yourself. I'd rather you lead them to Christ in your circle. That's how we multiply the kingdom of God and add numbers even more quickly than we, than we thought we could. So number three, the last thing is we're called to populate heaven. So when we gather together as a group and we, gather, we, we, we get in circles, we begin to populate heaven. So we live in his presence in gatherings, we live in his presence in circles, and then we get to watch God do a work through us for his church. And when people saw this early church, when people laid eyes on this early church, they were like, wow, that's a mega church. From the outside looking in, it was like, oh my gosh, that's a mega church. But you know, from the inside, it didn't feel that way. On the inside, it was a micro church. Why? Because they were getting together in their homes and they were breaking bread and they were selling their possessions and helping each other. So we're not a mega church. From people on the outside looking in, they're like, oh yeah, that's a mega church. No, no, no. We're not a mega church. We're a micro church doing mega things for God. Okay? So I'm inviting you, if you have a heart for this house, my challenge to you is to say, would you consider making this the place where you live in his presence? Okay? prioritizing it. We're going to live, as a, live in his presence when we gather together on Sunday mornings. We're going to live in his presence whenever we get in circles and, and do the work of the ministry together. Um, most people, whenever they're trying to find a church, and I get it, we got to find churches that, that, that are good fits for us. I'm not discounting that. But there's a little bit of a tweak that I would like to make in, in your heart and in your mind as you're processing this. Because most people say, what does that church have to offer me and my family? It's kind of the filter. We may not verbalize it, but we're thinking, what does that church offer me and my family? So my rebuttal to you is you have heard the vision, the beginnings of the vision, and this is how this church is gonna do discipleship, okay? This is the vision of this house. So my challenge back to you would say, what does you and your family have to offer this bride of Christ? We get to live in, in his presence we get to be a part of the bride of Christ. We get to serve the bride of Christ. We, used to, we get to be able to give to the bride of Christ. So let's pray today. I wanna to pray over you, okay? Here's my assignment to you. I want you to, to pray about this. Many of you have been coming to church here for five years, 10 years, and you've, you're yet to kind of get all in. Look up here at me one more second. I know I told you to close your eyes, all right? <laughs> Let me give you a challenge. I may give you this challenge every week, all right? Give me one year. You go all in at this church for one year. You live in his presence here. You move beyond yourself here. You become a giver here. You give your talents and your gifts and your treasures to this house. Give God one year. And if your life is not markably different, I'll go to another church with you. 
What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Father, I pray that you would rise up revival. Maybe not even revival the way that we picture it with tent meetings and all-nighters and I'm okay if you do that too, Lord, but I believe that you wanna revive the heart of your believers, of your sons and your daughters. To begin to see the bride of Christ differently is not something that's there to serve me, but something that is there for me to serve it. So God, help us as a church. I believe, God, that we are a brand new church. We are a baby 28-year-old church, God, and you got more in front of us than we have behind us. And it's gonna take an army, Father. So I pray, God, that you would do a work in this house, Father that this would not be a consumeristic church, God, but this would be a launching church like the church of Antioch, God. May we send out missionaries. May we send out church plants. May we send out pastors and leaders and prophets and, and, and evangelists, Father, from this church that you begin to stir the waters, God. Stir the waters of this house, Father. Give us a heart for this house. God, may we experience your presence like never before when we begin to gather when we, when we begin to get in circles, Father, may we live in your presence in this house. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, Lord. We take this seed home with us, Lord, and we allow it to grow, to take, to take root in our hearts, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.